following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Jesus promises that for those who uh, hear and respond well to God's word, that their lives will produce a, an abundant harvest. And uh, that was the point of the parable of the sower and the seeds. And uh, talked about that last week, that Jesus wants us to be fruitful. And uh, part of our fruitfulness is conditioned by what we do with God's word as we receive it. Uh, then Jesus gives, or Luke actually puts together these two more short little clips to add and explain further what Jesus means by that. Um, one has to do with the parable of the light, or a proverb to more, more specifically. Uh, and the next one has to do with uh, Jesus' mother's mother and brother visiting him. And uh, Jesus wants us to, to clarify what this means by paying attention to the word. That's what we want to look at today. What does it really mean to be receiving God's word well, uh, to be the kind of soil that God's word can penetrate into and produce fruit and significance in a fruitful life. Um, so let's look at the first proverb, um, uh, lighting a lamp. Uh, and I've called this living with the light on. Uh, this proverb is used several times through the Gospels and not always with the same meaning. Uh, it was a, a Hebrew proverb uh, who, you know, who lights a lamp and sticks it under a bucket or a bowl? Or you remember the song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? Uh, we're probably most familiar with this passage in, in uh, Matthew. And in that context, in that passage, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they might, what, see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, Jesus didn't always use these parables and these proverbs with the same point. Right? And in that passage, the focus is definitely on our witness for Christ and uh, letting our light, Christ, shine to the world around us. That's not the, the way he uses it here. Uh, it's real important. That's why when we read the Bible, it's very important that we pay attention to the context where a passage is and what's going on in and around it. And... Um, you know, Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Well, here Jesus interprets it a couple of verses later in verse 18 this way. Uh, he says, take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So in this story, Jesus really interprets this picture of a lamp. And uh, Luke puts it with the preceding story of the sower and the seed because they really have the same basic point. And in both of these stories, the emphasis or the focus is the word. So in the, sower, in the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus says the seed is the word of God. Uh, in this story, uh, Jesus doesn't say it, but he implies the same thing, that the light is the teaching uh, or the words of Christ. Uh, and he's coming and his word is going out and it's like a, a lamp or a light that's been lit and set up where it sheds light on everybody and everything. Uh, Jesus is not 
tucked away in some remote, hidden corner. He's very public about his teaching. And he uh, is very diligent uh, to make uh, himself available to the masses. So thousands of people are coming. In fact, chapter 8 starts off with uh, saying that people are coming from villages all over. So God is, through Christ, making the word manifest to all. He's not hiding it. He's not tucking it away. He's not keeping it a secret. Uh, if Jesus had lived in our day, okay, these would have been radio broadcasts. Right? He would have made it as public as possible. And certainly in his day, with the means he had, Jesus uh, shone the light of truth everywhere he could. Um, so, so the light is Jesus' word. It's his teaching. It's his revelation. And, and light always pictures truth. Uh, even the parable, it says that it lights things up. It makes things hidden, visible. Uh, Jesus' truth was revelation. It was showing people who God was, who they were, and what God's purpose and plan was in their life. Um, and in this, in this parable, the word has two functions or two purposes. Um, the first is that the, uh, it gives light or revelation to the one who welcomes it. Uh, so the one who doesn't hide it away, stick it under a bowl, it shines into their life truth. Uh, and that truth is his word that should guide or teach or lead us. But it also has a second function. Uh, it also, it says, reveals the true condition of one's heart and life. Uh, in verse 17 it says this, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Uh, the word has the, the function or the role of acting as a judge, as well as illumining, guiding us, teaching us. Uh, how we respond to the word also will become uh, the source or the means by which God will judge us one day. Uh, it will bring to light the true and secret hidden motives of every heart. So those who receive the word well, one day that's going to be obvious. And for those who receive it and who produce fruit in their life, will uh, will be judged by what they've done with the word they've heard. For others who have rejected it, they likewise will be judged by what they've done with the word or the revelation they've been given. So... Uh, Kind of the practical point of this is that Jesus is saying all of our life should fall under the uh, illuminating beam, the light of God's word. Uh, it should shine on every part of our life. Uh, I like this. Jesus says, uh, you know, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or a bucket or puts it under a bed. Uh, all will be exposed. Clearly, Jesus had never met a seven-year-old with a flashlight, right? Um, at least me, right? When I was seven years old, I had a flashlight, and I would take my flashlight, and mom would say goodnight, tuck me in, turn off the lights, and what would I do? I would dig out my flashlight from under the pillow. I would, I would not want to expose this light to everybody so that if my mom came in, I wouldn't get in trouble, right? So what do you do? You burrow yourselves under your cover, and you turn on the light with the um, false assumption that under the covers, your mom can't see it, right? In fact, one time my flashlight battery burned out, so I actually took my lamp from my, my nightstand and I put it under the blankets, you know, uh, until it started to burn a hole through the blanket. <laughs> and my mom comes in and wanted to know why the house was about to burn down, right? Well, okay, so, so some people do that. But normally, 
That's not the purpose of light. In fact, and even for the seven-year-old, while he doesn't want his mom to discover the light, his purpose in turning on the light under the covers is to be able to see better, to read or to play or do whatever it is seven-year-olds do under their covers, right? Um, it's, to, it's to illuminate. That's its purpose. That's what light is about. Um, Jesus' teaching is light. And the idea is that if we are to receive his word carefully, we will bring that light into every single area of our life. Um, Jesus sums up, he interprets it by saying this. He says, take care how you hear. Right? The light has been given to you. It's come to shine in every way his truth. So therefore, be careful. Pay close attention to how you are hearing. Uh, he wants us to shine the light of his teaching, his word, on every area of our life. Um, into, the, uh, into the darkest, deepest recesses. Uh, for us, there's no such thing as dividing our life into the spiritual and the rest of it, right? That God's word somehow speaks to the spiritual part of our life, but that there's some other part of life that operates out from underneath the influence and light of Scripture. It's not true. Jesus says, everything should be illuminated and revealed by my word, my teaching, and my truth. Um, our work, our worship, and our play should all be governed by the light. I don't remember who said this, but it's a great quote. It said, uh, we play at our worship, we worship our work, and we work at our play. <laughs> right? That's not really God's design, right? Uh, he wants us to, in every area of our life, those things be governed by his word and his truth. Uh, how we spend uh, our time, whether it's work or worship or play, should be governed and dictated by God's word. Uh, how we spend our money. Uh, are we generous or stingy? Are we good stewards of the resources he has given us? Those things that should be put under the light of God's word. Uh, how we love people as a husband or a wife as a father or mother, as a son or daughter, as an employer or employee, as a friend or as an enemy. Scripture speaks to all of those things, and it should be governing how we live. Uh, it should influence how we behave outwardly, uh, but also should govern the inner attitudes of our thoughts and our heart. Right? All of life should come under the shining truth of God's Word. Um, and to put this in context, if you back up a little bit, uh, go back in time a couple weeks, before the sower of the seed, does anybody remember the story that we looked at? It was the story of the woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet, right? Uh, great picture of, of this exact thing happening in her life. And while, while God's word should, should teach us how to live, should, should guide us towards a, a life that's holy, uh, it, it's more than that. It's really uh, experiencing the truth of God's love. Okay, God's word is not simply instructions. It's not simply, uh, you know, do this and this and this. It's, it's not just do's and don'ts. Ultimately, his word is the truth about who God is and his heart and attitude toward us. Um, this woman had been a woman of ill repute, a woman we don't know why, but had some horrible reputation as an immoral person. As a, as a scoundrel, as a bad person. And if you remember, she had encountered Christ and somehow through that 
word, through that teaching, the light had shone into her life, and she had come to a point of realizing she could be forgiven. Right? That her life was not to be characterized by the sin that had held her bondage for so long. That Jesus offered to her grace and forgiveness. And that was life transforming for her. As the light of God's grace and forgiveness shone upon her, it transformed her life. Um, And that's God's light coming into our life. There are those things in our heart and life we would love to keep hidden away and secret. But Jesus is saying everything needs to be exposed to his light. And not just... Uh, Not just instructions, right? Not just an instruction manual of how to spend your time and your money. It is that. But more than that, light that brings a healing touch to those broken areas of our life. Like this woman who desperately needed the transforming grace and healing that Christ brought. Um, So his word is to to expose everything. Uh, And he he says beyond that, in verse 18, he says, take, the, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Um, you, ever, you ever have to get up, heaven forbid, have to get up 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, long before the sun's out, right? And it's dark, and you've been sleeping peacefully in, in, in darkness, and you wake up in darkness, and in that state, darkness has light, right? And you can kind of stumble around, and you can kind of see your way in the dark, and you fumble your way into the bathroom, and then you flip the, the light switch, and all of a sudden, even though the lights in your bathroom are not that bright, you're blinded by this light, right? And you're like, wow, and it's kind of this jolting thing first thing in the morning. Uh, but as your eyes adjust... Uh, you see how dark the darkness was, and it helps you see more light. So as you go from there out to even brighter light, your eyes adjust and you're able to deal with greater doses of light. And eventually the sun comes up and the world is filled with light and we can handle it. Well, Jesus says God's word is like that. Uh, For those of us who receive what little revelation God gives us, who, uh, who welcome the light of truth, more will be given. But for those who reject it, for those who stick their head back under the covers and hold on to darkness, for them the light becomes blinding. Right? It's not helpful. And he says that even, I love it, he says even what little light they think they have, what little understanding they think they have will be taken away from them. Uh, he says pay close attention to how you listen. Um, Literally, the word is to look carefully at how you are listening to the word, right? Make certain that, uh, as Jesus challenged them, we are attentive to God's word. Um, So that's the parable of the the light. And he he says, how we respond to God's word will ultimately be how God will judge us. God will judge every person according to the light they've been given, Those who have been given very little light, even what little they have will be taken away if they reject it. But to those who are given light and receive it, more and more revelation and light will be given. So that as we walk with Christ, we have an ever-increasing 
volume of God's word impacting our life. Um, then Jesus moves on to a second story, uh, also very short and concise, uh, condensed from the other gospels, but uh, also found there. It says, then, uh, then his mother and brothers and sisters came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Um, so here's the scene. Jesus is, is just surrounded by this crushing throng of people. And people have come from all over Israel and beyond to hear him teach. And we don't know, Luke doesn't give any details about where he is, but apparently he's in some kind of house or uh, in some place where this, this crowd is just swarming around and his, his mom and his brothers come to visit him and they cannot get through this crushing throng of people to, to gain access to Jesus. Um, but they, they expect that they should be able to. And part of being family, especially part of being mom, is you should have a right to access, right? So it doesn't matter what, what kind of rock star you are. If you're family, you should get a backstage pass. And that's, that's what this is about. Backstage pass means, you know, you may be the rock star. You may, you know, you may be up in front of the crowds of throngs of tens of thousands and whatever. But when you go backstage, there are a special select group of people that have access backstage. And, you know, every rock star will tell you, mom gets to be one of those, right? You just don't shut mom out. And uh, when, when Jesus' mom comes with his brothers, she's expecting this kind of access to Jesus, and so the word goes through the crowd, hey, you know, Jesus' mom and brothers are here. And the expectation is that Jesus will make a path and make uh, it easy for them to, to gain access. Now, we don't know in, in, in this account and in the gospel, we don't know if Jesus actually does that or not. It doesn't say. Um, um, and, and Jesus, in some, some sense, agrees with that logic. Okay? Uh, Jesus agrees that there are people who should have special access to his presence, that his ministry really exists at two levels, one at a very broad public level where uh, the masses and the crowds hear him teach. Uh, but then he says that there are family, and uh, I do have family who I will give special access to, to those who can draw any time into into fellowship with me that's personal, one-on-one, close, and intimate. Uh, So Jesus agrees with his mom at some level, uh, but he changes what it means to be family. Uh, He redefines the nature of that kind of intimate, close relationship. And it's no longer based on blood relationship. Uh, Again, not that he, uh, you know, we assume that he did eventually make room for his mom, but he, he uses this as an opportunity to explain to the crowd what the basis of relationship with him is. And he says, look, any of you can be my brothers and my, my family. Any of you can have that kind of special access to me if you're this kind of person. What kind of person? Well, the person who is hearing the word of God and doing it. So those are my, my mother and brothers and sisters, those who are hearing the word of God and doing it. So three stories Jesus weaves together, or Luke weaves together from Jesus' life, that emphasize the unique and special role of God's word and our responsibility to hear it well 
And he says part of that hearing means not just learning it, not just understanding, not, not just grasping its content, and even not just trusting in its content, but at some level doing it, putting it into practice, applying it. Uh, it is all about what you do with the word that you are hearing. And it's not about the quantity of the word that you hear. It's not about the quantity of the word that you know as much as it is about what you do with what is given you. So, so, so the, the practical side of this is when we get to heaven, praise God, there's not going to be a comprehensive exam, right? And, and Jesus is going to ask, you know, play Bible trivia, and there's going to be 10,000 questions, and if you don't get like, you know, 90%, you're out, right? Uh, praise God, that's not what it's about. Um, because a lot of us would be in trouble. You know, I would be in trouble. Uh, I used to know this stuff, but my brain cells are fading fast, and I can't remember anything anymore. People ask me, you know, do you know you're a pastor? Do you know where that verse is? I'm like, well, I did a long time ago. Now I can just say it's in the Bible. Right? Uh, it's, it's going fast, right? Praise God. We don't have to remember all the details. Uh, God's not going to give us an exam on our theology. Okay? I know that's a shock to a lot of people. A lot of people spend huge amounts of energy making sure their theology is perfect. Right? Get to heaven, God's not going to be so worried about that, right? Because you'll work it out when you get to heaven. <laughs> you, you'll figure out the stuff that was wrong. Oh, wow, who knew, right? Um, but the test is going to be this. We will be judged. We will be judged by God's word, but not by what we know of it, what we have practiced of it, Right? Jesus is going to ask, and, he, and the light's going to shine. The light of his word is going to fall upon us uh, as believers. And, and this is written, Jesus is speaking these things primarily to his followers, to his disciples. Right? And to his disciples, he says, what are you going to have to show for how you have put the word of God into practice in your life? How have you been living out my teaching, my word, scripture? Um, have you been uh, serious about the word? And I love this picture of family, uh, of being a new family with Christ, who are seriously in the word. Because it, it shows us that you cannot love Jesus without loving his word. Those things go hand in hand. If he is important to us, his word will be important to us. I remember when I was pastoring in Colorado, uh, there had been a lady who had come to Christ as part of our ministry, and um, uh, she was an, uh, you know, an adult, had high school-aged children, uh, but had come to Christ uh, out of actually a background of Mormonism, um, kind of a long journey, kind of met God first, and then eventually discovered who Jesus was. Uh, but as she did that, she, uh, she loved Christ. And I remember one day we'd given her, you know, we'd order boxes full of Bibles to give to people, when you order, when churches order Bibles to give away, you don't really buy the expensive ones, right? They're like the $5 Bibles. Um, I mean, the words are the same, just the binding's not quite as good, right? And I'd given her one of these cheap Bibles, and I remember visiting her, uh, I think somewhere a year or so after she'd come to Christ, visiting her, and she had some questions, and she digs out this bundle of papers that was just pieces, right? And she lays it on, and she starts flipping through these bundles of paper, and I realized it's her Bible. And I thought, why has she just cut her Bible to shreds? It was just pieces and, you know, like 
20-page sections, you know, all just... I said, what did you do to your Bible? She says, oh, it just fell apart, right? She'd read it so much in a year. She had literally... There was no binding left. There was just this bundle of paper. So much she'd read God's Word. And she loved Jesus, right? That's how it is. When you love His Word, when you love Him, you will love His Word. When you love His Word like that, you will love Him. Those things are deeply connected. Well... That, that's, the, that's the principle Jesus is teaching in these three stories. Uh, but, but let me sum it all up by giving a word about the word. Uh, because the, the reality is that Jesus spoke these, these three parables or these, these three stories in the context of his attack, uh, of being attacked by the Pharisees. And it's real important to start seeing what Jesus is saying in that context. Because as Jesus teaches, especially the parable of the sore and the soil, it's very clear that Jesus is starting to single out people like the Pharisees as being those who are not being receptive to the word. But if you know anything about the the Pharisees, that's kind of a mind-boggling concept because these guys, if anybody knew scripture, these guys did, right? These guys memorized huge chunks of the Old Testament. And they debated it, and they talked about it, and they discussed it, and they, they wrote and read commentaries about it, and they interpreted it inside out and backwards and upside down and inside out, and they knew it in, in, in intense detail. And if you were to go up to an average Pharisee or a scribe or religious leader in Jesus' day, and you were to say, are you living by the word? They would have said, yes, we're, we're consumed with the word. Right? Our whole life is centered around the Word. Everything we do is about Scripture. We read it, we study it, we memorize it, we follow it. We are people of the Word. And yet Jesus teaches these parables to them to point out that they're not. That they're not really hearing the Word as they thought they were. Uh, in, in the church today, right, there's all kinds of denominations, there's all kinds of groups, there's all kinds of people. Uh, who claim to be followers of Christ, who, who build churches and ministries and organizations, who call themselves Christians. And if you ask any of these groups, you know, you're, you're way over here and this group's way over here, certainly you both must be ignoring Scripture. Well, they would all say, no. In fact, we're the, we're the ones really following Scripture. It's those guys who are ignoring the Bible. But each of them will pull out their Bibles, right? And they will go to war, <laughs> Right? defending their views and defending who they are based on Scripture. So, so it creates a problem for us. Because just saying, yeah, I live by the Bible, right, does not mean we're doing what Jesus says here. Right? Because what Jesus is talking about here is more than just being pe- people who uh, surround their life with Scripture. So what does Jesus mean here? When he says this, what, what does it mean to, to be hearing the word and giving careful attention to its practice? Um, certainly it means that it's more than just knowledge, that, it's, that it is practice. But even for all of these groups, all these differences, they would all claim that they are practicing the word. Right? No, nobody would, 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 would just say, well, it doesn't really matter what you do. It just matters what you think. All groups would agree we need to be putting these things into practice. But it's clear that that practice gets sorted out in so many different ways. Are they all right? Are they all correct? 
For us, we should be asking the question, yeah, I read the Bible, I follow the Bible, I think I know the Bible, but does that really mean that I automatically am hearing the word as Jesus talked about here and am a doer of the word? Well, to understand this and to really um, really understand what Jesus is talking about, it's really important that we're clear about what we mean by the word of God. Uh, what is the word of God? Well, of course, we know it's the Bible, right? Uh, it's the written revelation of God. Um, in the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus' teaching is described as the word of God. Um, and, and certainly, the word of God is all of Scripture. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to tell you, and, and it would be wrong to say that the word of God is only certain portions of Scripture. The Word of God is all of Scripture. Um, but it is, And it is certainly not less than all of Scripture. But to really understand it, we have to understand that the Scripture is, is one whole complete thing. Right? It is one living whole organism that, uh, that fits together as one object. And where we get in trouble, is, as the Pharisees did, is when we start breaking the Scripture up into portions and pieces and we fail to recognize its organizing whole. That's super abstract, and you're all boy going, okay, I'm really confused here. So let me try to break it down into a picture, right? Because pictures are easier to grasp. On, your, on the PowerPoint there, if you notice at the top, I have a wheel, an old wagon wheel. Uh, and a, a wagon wheel is a great picture of what I think Scripture is. Scripture is an organized whole. It, 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 it's a complete thing, and it's like a wheel. It has a hub, a center, it has spokes, it has a rim, it has a tire. Uh, and it's important that all those pieces get put together in the correct order and format. Uh, if, for example, I try to put the tire in the middle and the hub somewhere on the outside, okay, it's no longer a wheel. It's modern art <laughs> or something, right? Um, if, if you put the, the, the spokes on the outside of the wheel, it's, it's not a wheel, it's a weapon, right, with like pokey things, right? It's important how it gets put together. And it's super important that the hub is in the center. I think I have another slide. Can you go to the next slide? Okay, this is what happens if the hub is not in the center, right? You have a wheel that will, will turn, but won't turn very well, right? So, so scripture is like a wheel, right? And it's important that it gets put together with the right center and with its parts proportional that all of it revolves around its organizing middle or center. One of the reasons people uh, misapply scripture or think they're keeping the word is they don't understand this principle. And they have the wrong thing in the center. right? The wrong thing that's the... The, the focus of the word to them. And everything else gets out of whack. So, so what is the center of the Bible? What is the center of Scripture? Uh, I can ask for questions now, but that could be dangerous. I'm not going to do that. I'll give you, I'll give you the correct answer. <laughs> all right? What is the center of Scripture? What does all of the Old Testament point to, and from the New Testament all onward point back to? Well, it is Jesus, right? It is Jesus, it is the cross, it is the gospel. Um, when Jesus 
in verse in verse chapter eight verse one, uh, it talks about Jesus teaching. It says so. Right at, prior to this section, it says soon afterward Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing what the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Throughout the gospels, they sum up Jesus teaching this way. It is the gospel. It is the good news about the kingdom. It is the message that Jesus proclaimed. Uh, his, his sacrificial death for sin. His going to the cross, his resurrection. Of course, they didn't understand it because he hadn't gone there yet. Uh, but Jesus preached repentance. He preached that people were sinful, that they could not on their own be good enough to meet the requirements of the law. And so people like this woman of ill repute and other sinners could hear what Jesus had to say because they knew they were sinners. They knew they could not keep the law. They knew they, they could not come up with the righteousness of, our, of their own. It's like that great song we just sang. Uh, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. Okay? That's the gospel. And it's vital to know that that is, when we talk about the word of God, we mean scripture from beginning to end, but we mean scripture from beginning to end with Christ and the cross at its center. And I know I say this all the time, and maybe you get tired of hearing it. I hope not. But it's vitally important. Because if we get this wrong, we will not be doing the word of God. We will, we will think we are because we're, we're going to scripture and we're doing stuff that the Bible says. But if the gospel is not the center of it, we really won't be hearing and paying attention to what Jesus taught and living out Scripture as he intended. Let me give you some examples. Uh, some people and some church groups want to make holiness the center of Scripture. Now, is God about holiness? Absolutely. Is God holy? Absolutely. Right? But here's what happens. If you put holiness in the center of the wheel and you try to make everything revolve around holiness... Uh, what you get, what you end up with is self-righteousness and legalism. Right? That's what the Pharisees had done. They were living life to be holy. It's what Islam is. Okay? A, a serious, dedicated Buddhist or Muslim lives to live a holy life. But when the gospel is not the center of that, it becomes legalism and moralism. Um, you could make theology the center of that wheel. And many do, right? And what you get is this. You get fights and divisions and huge spiritual wars because uh, you'll never agree on anything in Scripture if you don't have the gospel as the center because it's too easy to misapply and misunderstand Scripture if you don't get its main point. Um, and, and that's why there are so many uh, fights about truth, right, about doctrine. And I've seen this. I mean, I, the church, when I was pastoring in the States, little tiny church of 20 people uh, made theology and doctrine the center of their church. Before we left, there were two of those churches, <laughs> five blocks apart, right? Same church, same people. They just split in two because they could not agree about some ridiculous minor little point of theology. Right? They didn't get the gospel. Uh, you can put worship at the center does God want us to worship? Absolutely. Is worship important? Absolutely. Uh, countless churches, however, have made worship the center without the gospel being the center of their worship. 
And what you end up with is an emotional and experiential religion that picks and chooses the parts of God that give us the most warm fuzzies. Right? It's all about my experience, and I, without the gospel as the center of it, I grasp for those parts of God's character that make me feel good. Right? And I miss it. Uh, Without the confession, without the awareness of my need for the cross, our worship becomes shallow and superficial. And here, here's the deal. God sent his only son as a sacrifice for sin. If you worship him and you ignore that truth, God's not going to be that impressed. It's like, you know, I gave my son for you, and you don't, you don't ever even say thank you for that. Okay? I mean, I've been... I, you know, I pray that that will never be true in our church, that we will go through a worship service where Jesus, the cross, and his gift for us is completely ignored. Because right? that's not honoring to God who gave his greatest gift. Right? If we can't thank him for that, we are missing something in our worship. Uh, some could make the Holy Spirit the center. Right? And then you end up with an unhealthy and unbalanced focus on, on spiritual gifts. Did God give us the spiritual gifts? Yes. Did he give us all the spiritual gifts? Absolutely. Should we use them? Yes. But they should not be the focus. They should give witness to the gospel. Um, On the other end of the spectrum are those who've made their whole mission cessationism. You know, there aren't those spiritual gifts, right? Well, we don't even talk about them. Um, Some make God's blessing the center. Does God want to bless you? Absolutely, right? If you don't understand his blessing in the, in the cross, you don't really understand his blessing. God loves us and he wants to bless us immensely. But if we make his blessing the center, we end up with the health and wealth prosperity gospel. Right? That's all about me and what God does for my comfort and my material wealth. Right? And it leaves out the suffering of the cross. Paul says, I praise God that I was able to partake in the suffering of Jesus. Okay? It's not fun, but that's part of what the gospel calls us to. Um, If we focus on and make social issues and justice in helping the poor the center, we end up with a Christianity that is in the end a social gospel, that we try to fix people's problems with bread and hospitals and education and not bringing uh, life to their souls through redemption. Um, You can make the law the center. And you end up with people who worship on Saturday and won't eat pork. You you can go on down the list, right? They're all people who think they're doing the word. That's the scary thing. There are people who will cite verse after verse after verse who will quote scripture right and left, Right? who will tell you, we're serious about the Bible. But Jesus, I think, would say to them, yeah, but you're not paying attention, you're not hearing well, because you're missing the main point. You're missing the center. And you've made something other than what I have called, what is my purpose and plan, what is the heart of my will, the center, and you're missing the main point. But you see, when Scripture is... The center, it, it keeps all these other things in perfect balance, right? It helps us balance out all this stuff. So 
you know, you read through Scripture, and, and the Bible has lots of demands, lots of instructions, lots of commands, lots of things we're supposed to do. Um, and it could be, and oftentimes is overwhelming, right? And I work on something today, and tomorrow there's 59 more things that I realize I, I'm not doing, right? But, but the gospel keeps that all in balanced perspective. Um, and, and we should be living a gospel-centered life. Uh, not that we ignore Scripture, Right? Not that we casually dismiss its instructions, but that we filter all of it through that center, that we keep it in balance and in check through that center, which is the gospel. Um, so, so what does that mean exactly? Well, there, there's two great truths about the gospel that should keep everything else in check. And the first great truth is that I am a sinner, and I am a failure morally and spiritually. I came into the world spiritually dead. And there's nothing I can ever do on my own to be a good person. Okay, that's, that's a fundamental core of the gospel. And all of scripture teaches it from one end to the other. Every king in Israel, no matter how good, messed up. Right? Virtually every prophet, no matter how good, had their faults and failures. The message of Scripture is we are not good enough on our own. And so when we look at all the commands and all the regulations and all the expectations and all the things God asks us to do, we never say, oh, yeah, I got that. Got that. That's not a a problem for me, right? No. We always come to it with the attitude, I am broken and fallen and sinful. But that's only one half of the equation. The gospel, the cross, also reminds us that while we are more wicked and more screwed up than we really want anybody to know, that we really want to admit, at the same time, we are more loved and more blessed than we could ever imagine. Because God gave his son for us. He took on himself our sin and our failure and our shame and our guilt because he loved us so much. So that when I do mess up and when I fail and I don't, don't get it right, uh, I am not condemned. I go to a father who is incredibly patient and kind and loving. Now, does he want us to be obedient? Uh, yes. But we need to understand that word obedience carefully. In fact, it's interesting here that Jesus doesn't use the word obedience. He doesn't say... My mother and brothers and family are those who, who hear my word and obey it, even though the New Living actually says that. It's not, it's not the, really the word. It's literally the word to do it. Uh, and I think Jesus was careful of his choice of words there because obedience can be a smaller thing where we keep a, a checklist of rules. Doing it is more proactive. How do we do the word? How do we do the gospel? How do we do grace? How do we do a life where we are under the power of the cross continually? How do we do a life where God's power and the power of the cross is working out its power, its healing, its forgiveness in our life? What does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot more than just going through a checklist and saying, well, I had my devotions 10 minutes today. Check, right? I was nice to one person today. Check, right? I told somebody about Jesus, even though they didn't actually know what I said. Check, right? Right. 
love evangelizing Thai people in English. It's great. Um, That could be obedience. But doing the word is a whole different deal. It means living it out in everything we do. Living it out. It means being intentional about what God's word commands us as we understand it through the gospel and living it out every day. Bearing fruit through Christ every day. Um, Two quick practical things uh, to do this. How do you do this? How do you do the word? Um, Well, it's a big book. There's a lot of commands. There's a lot of instructions. Um, It's a life. The good news is you've got your whole life to practice. You don't have to get it all right today. Um, I think it's important to be in the Word daily, right? To be seeking the Word, seeing it through the Gospel. And as you do, we should never go away from Scripture and go, hmm, that was nice. You know, I, I didn't know that before. I, I never saw that, and I'm, I'm smarter now because I was in the Bible. That may be true and good, but we should never go away content that we know more. We should always end reading Scripture by asking the simple question, God, what do you want me to do today with this truth? Right? What principle or what thing can I take out of Scripture and take it before God and say, God, what do you want me to do with this today? How do I live this out? Um, and then pick something. Right? Uh, hopefully God leads you to some specific thing you can do. Like, well, you know... You could you could try being a lot more positive in how you talk to people. You know, there's something, and so say, okay, I, today I need to be more positive, not so negative. I'm going to try to be positive today, right? And you need some mechanism to hold yourself accountable to that. So if you journal, maybe you need to write down. You know, I read read the scripture, and I feel like God's saying, you know, I'm being too critical. So I'm going to journal. I'm going to tell myself today, I'm going to try to be more positive. Uh, if you're really a good specific goal-oriented person, you could say something like, "Today I'm going to be. I'm going to tell three people something positive. That's going to just shock them because you know it's going to come out of my mouth. They're just going to probably pass out, right? But I'm going to do it anyway, right? Set a goal. At the end of the day, go back to your journal and look what you wrote and say, "Did I do that? Right? Did I did I tr- did I do what I wanted to try? And if you didn't, there's grace." Right? It's the gospel. We say, God, you know, I didn't think I could do it because in my flesh I can't. But tomorrow, Lord, I pray that your spirit would empower and equip me because I, I want to do this. Right? And check yourself. Uh, if you're a person who's not into journaling but you have friends, um, maybe you could get an accountability partner and meet once a week and share with them what you're working on. Say, you know, I'm trying to be positive. So far, it's not going so well. Can you pray for me? Can you ask me how it's going? Next week, can you, can you ask me, you know, were you, were you positive with your wife at all this week? <laughs> okay? Find people to keep you accountable. That's what it means to be intentional. Being intentional means being specific about how we're going to live out God's word today. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.